little complaints. Mm. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we go to the hotline, and I believe welcome back to this show. Yeah. Uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Famer uh, Daryl McDaniels, better known as DMC from Run DMC. Daryl, how are you, sir? Hello? How you doing, buddy? Hey, what's happening? What's going on? Uh, great to talk to you. Uh, I, I was just... Uh, I was just watching you the other day uh, talk about uh, Ricky Powell on the Ricky Powell documentary, and I was really glad to see that that thing got made because I don't think enough people uh, knew who he was yeah. and what kind of that street art, you know, street photography and stuff was. I thought they did a good job with that. Oh, no, that was incredible. I'm getting amazing, amazing feedback about that. I forgot that I was in it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I I know him, of course, from... Ricky was amazing. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I said um, Ricky is amazing. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he was. Uh, I know him from the Beastie Boys, and uh, I grew up in New York, so I grew up listening yep. to you guys. And when you and the Beastie Boys first connected, were you taking them seriously? Yes, a hundred percent. People don't people forget that they were a band. They yeah. were a punk rock band. And we were the only hip-hop act working working in Chunking House of Metal. We were the only hip-hop act working in a studio that was um, recording metal bands, uh, Slayer, Anthrax, um, funk rock bands like the Beastie Boys. So what had happened with the Beasties is Rick Rubin sticks his head in the studio one day, and with that Rick Rubin swagger, hey, guys, What's going on? And we was like, yo, what's up? And boom, So he just started hanging out. And then after about three sessions in, he'd bring these three white Jewish punk rock band guys in. And he looks at Jay and he says, yo, Jay, do you think these three white guys could make a hip-hop album? Jay looked over at them and said, why not? And then a couple of months later, License to Ill was born. But we took him serious from the get-go because they had an appreciation for the art of hip-hop. They wasn't just trying to capitalize and copycat. They knew more about old-school hip-hop before rappers delight than I did. <laughs> well, I, I have to tell you, I, I love the Beastie Boys, hated Fight for Your Right, the, the song. But the rest of that album was fantastic. I just wondered... Uh -huh. When it, when it, when you had guys like you who were pioneers in hip hop and rap, and they bring these three white Jewish right. guys in there, if right away you were like, "Oh, brother," or, or you saw potential, which clearly you no, did. No, no, no. What it is is I respect the Beastie Boys more than a lot of black hip hop today because the Beastie Boys did not dis disrespect the culture. They wasn't white guys trying to act black. Yo, what's up, man? What's up, my N word? And they wasn't shooting cats and drinking 40s and Hennessy. They were white Jewish punk rock dudes doing hip-hop songs about who they were. No sleep to Brooklyn, Brass Monkey, the things that they talk about. They wasn't trying to act like us. Right. And so when we first started the Raising Hell tour, we were just doing completely black towns. Alabama, Florida. Tennessee and the Beastie Boys was opening. The Beastie Boys was opening for LL Houdini. Rest in peace to Ecstasy. Houdini, one of the greatest hip hop groups in the game. People forget to mention them and run DMC. So they were opening and they would go out there. The first couple of shows, we're expecting to hear booze, but we're here in the floor. 
recognize real. They got to stay on stage in front of a completely black audience and acted white doing hip hop. And yeah. the black audience, they respect Mike Mike D didn't have a Dookie rope gold chain with a Cadillac or Adidas on it. He actually had a plastic chain where he took the emblem off the front of a Volkswagen BMW, yep. threw it around his neck, and hit the B-Boy stairs, and people respected that. They was not fake. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I love I love it. I also love the fact that uh watching the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, you have to really uh you know, you guys of course pioneers, but to see all these rap bands get in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame is uh it get finally getting their due. I think that's been great. Well, you wanna know what's crazy about that? When we got inducted in two thousand and nine, it's the heads, all the head guys, Dan Warner, you know, all of those guys that run the rock and roll of fame. They called me up, yo, GMC, man, come in. You guys were pathetic. And I was like, what are you talking about? Check this out. In 1985, we did a song called King of Rock with Larry Bud Melman uh-huh. and David Lemon's show at the front door of the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame saying, you guys can't come in here. This is a rock and roll museum. Now, check this out, Mike. In 1985, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame told me, GMC, who hung out with Larry Bud and made a video about not getting in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame in 85, Mike, the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame didn't exist. Oh, that's right. That's right. But so 86. So see how powerful that is? It, it's funny that you bring that up. I, When Gene Simmons said what he said about it, I agreed with him, and I got cursed out by all my hip-hop fans. Because what Gene Simmons said, he said the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame originally, when it was opened up, was based on rock bands talking about musicians. Right. So people don't know that the message by Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five was the first hip-hop um, act to be inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Rightfully so. That's, that's a great record. But here's what I say to um, people that take on hip-hop going into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Take all you want because our victory is not actually getting in. And this is what I talk to a lot of young people about. My victory wasn't just actually getting in and getting a trophy. My victory, above all things, was just being considered worthy enough for induction, which shows me what I did has been approved by a mass of people that think my music did something not just for me, you know, not just for my ass, but it touched and inspired some people. So the victory, even if a hip-hop act never gets it in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, your victory is being considered worthy enough. You know, because they said my music was a fad. So that's the thing. But it's powerful that Run DMC prophesied that, yo, y'all going to have to let our asses pick whether you like it or not. I was talking to Daryl McDaniels from Run DMC, who now... Uh, is in uh, the book uh, area. You got a children's book out there, Random House, called Daryl's Dream. What is this about? Well, basically, for for my whole career, Mike, you notice, I would always make music that would inspire and motivate people and resonate with people, white, black, Puerto Rican, punk rock, Jewish, Italian, Muslim. I don't care who or what religion you are, you can relate to Christmas in Holland. So my music has always resonated with people. Now, on my first record, I said a rhyme, since kindergarten I cried the knowledge. After 
12th grade, I went straight to college. You know, I made my first record when I was first out of um, high school. Nowadays, I'm looking at this younger generation. They don't have nobody representing for them. Like we say in the street, nobody's repping for the young people. So Daryl's dream is that young version of DMC, the mighty king of rock who told the world to walk his way in their Adidas and told you it was cool to wear glasses, it was cool to go to school, it's cool not to be in a gang, it's cool not to sell drugs. Look, I'm so gangster, I don't even use profanity on none of my hip-hop records, and I took over the world. So basically what I did, I created a book called Daryl's Dream so I could do two things for all the young people in the universe. I'm talking about the young Martian kids, the young kids that live in Venus, the kids in all the other galaxies. I want to inspire them so that they can do and see how my success is not about my accomplishments. My success is showing people that, number one, you have everything necessary for you to succeed, and number two, you are okay just the way you are. Mike, I got teased, bullied, and picked on because I wore glasses. Yeah. And I remember that. So when I got on the mic, I was able to say, D's for doing it all of the time. M's for the rhymes that are all mine. C is for cool, cool as can be. And Ron would ask me, why you wear those glasses? And I would scream to the world, so I can see. <laughs> I didn't do it to start a fashion trend. I didn't do it to be famous. I, um, I honestly and unashamedly talked about things that people thought were my weakness. So I created Daryl's dream so that every little boy or girl can realize you ain't got to do what everybody else do. You ain't got to follow nobody. I don't care if you like comic books and Star Trek and the Powerpuff Girls and you like playing with Play-Doh and you like finger painting. So Daryl's dream is a, a book that will inspire, um, empower, and let the kids know, oh, you think this world is the... Um, you ain't seen nothing yet until you've seen me. Because, Mike, my whole career, I was always talking to generations, and I never realized the impact that I alone had on the younger generation. Like, right now, Mike, I'm famous. Like, I'm the most famous person in the world because a lot of kids, they know the tricky song because of TikTok. That's right. So, like, TikTok, I'm not, I'm not just their mother's father's grandmother's and grandfather's tell their kids how great the king of rock is. But the kids don't really understand. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about that young DMC who became the powerful man that their mothers, fathers, grandmothers, and grandfathers like. There's no better way to explain to so kids. Uh, uh, there's no better way to explain to a young child that their dreams can be accomplished than showing them a perfect example of somebody who chased their dream and got it and maximized what they can do. Yep. That is the best example. So I'm glad you're doing this. The book is called Daryl's yep. Dream. It's available everywhere you get books. And I uh, I could talk to you all day. I know you have a big tour to do today, but uh, you are an interesting uh, guy and, and, a, and a rock and roll hip-hop legend. I appreciate having you on the show today. Thank you, man. Y'all keep rocking it out. Without, without you guys, I am nothing. Appreciate you, brother. Good talking to you. Thanks, Mike. So, yeah, that delay really sucks. Oh, I mean, I can talk to him. He is he is a an intelligent guy who really started from nothing. And, and I mean, think about the 80s, how popular Run DMC oh, was. Oh, yeah. And then how much they influenced so many people. And, you know, they did that Larry Bud Melman. I forgot about that yeah. video. But then don't forget the Tricky video had Penn & Teller in it. Remember the Penn & Teller were... Uh, 
Wasn't that the one? And then, of course, Walk This Way with Aerosmith. Yeah. I mean, they really broke a Which lot of really wall. brought Aerosmith back. Yes. Aerosmith was gone. You know, they were kind of done to drug problems and inner fighting and all that stuff. And then uh, Rick Rubin got them together with Run DMC and said, hey, I think you guys should do this because of that beat. I, mean, I had so never great. heard Aerosmith before that. Oh, really? Never. I mean, you got to imagine, Galvin, I grew up with my mother who listened to Barry Manilow and Neil Diamond and all that stuff. And I was finding out about rock bands and all that stuff from my friends and never heard of Aerosmith until that point. I really didn't, and then uh, didn't know much more about Aerosmith before uh, Pump came out. I, uh, you know, probably four or five years old, remember sitting there with giant headphones on that were too heavy for my head, and my <laughs> head would almost fall over, and playing Aerosmith albums on the uh, the record player that was the size of a sofa, yeah. and listening to their first album that came out in 73, you know, and I was That's born so in 71, funny. yeah, but yeah, I, lo- I loved Aerosmith from the get-go. Well, I was scared of Kiss, so anything we could do oh. was <laughs> I used to listen to Kiss and draw all the album covers and draw Oof. all the guy, yeah, Oof. for sure. Uh, all right, 